Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome into another episode of THN on the O. As always, I am your host, Tony Ferrari, and joined by my co-host, Brock Otten. How are you doing today, Brock? Good, Tony. We're kind of in summer mode. For those who, who are watching us on video, I'm working on my tan. Yeah, and I'm working on my burn because that's all I do every summer. So it's a beautiful red thing. But uh, we have the Memorial Cup going on. The Peterborough Peets haven't fared too well for, through the first two games. So I figured let's just throw it to the interview with Dan Malta from the Peterborough Peets. And uh, let's get his take on everything that's gone on so far. All right. Now we're joined by Dan Malta. How's it going today, Dan? It's going pretty good. Tony and Brock, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, really uh, glad you could join us today to talk some Peterborough Peets. Just before we get into it, just wanted you to sort of share with people what you do for Peterborough. Um, that's a, it's a complicated answer. Uh, I'm kind of a, a broadcast generalist. Um, so the, the regional broadcasts in Peterborough, uh, I produce those games. Um, so I'll set up all the cameras. We'll get the, the production truck over there. We'll build all the graphic elements, line up the interviews, um, record all the feature interviews, everything like a holistic approach to broadcasting is what I take, uh, uh, for Peterborough Pete's broadcast and Peterborough for your TV and Kojiko. Um, I've been, I've been doing it for nearly a decade, but nearly a decade. Yeah. Um, eight years full time before that I was, I was just hosting the games and working in Oshawa, actually covering the generals. Um, but yeah, I've been covering the league for a little over a decade now. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty fun. Um, this is the longest I've gone into, uh, into the spring though, covering hockey, I guess you could say. Yeah, that's a perfect segue. Cause I mean, that's one of the main reasons we wanted you on today was to talk Peterborough and the Memorial cup. And thus far it hasn't been great for, for those who don't know, we're recording currently on Tuesday night. So there is a third game prior to us recording uh, against Quebec, but the first two have not gone incredibly well so dan what do you think uh what do you think about peterborough so far in the memorial cup what's your general thought the they they seem tired and the and rob wilson their coaches said that um they had the back-to-back situation their first game against seattle for the first 10 minutes of the game they were they were dominating seattle and i was sitting up there uh watching the game and i was thinking wow the peets are going to going to roll through this tournament. Like they, were, they were dominating Seattle. It was, it was probably the best eight minutes. I, I picked out an eight-minute segment, and I thought the Peets were just amazing, um, using their speed, getting in on the forecheck, and they're doing these this chip and chase that – and I covered the Generals in 2015 when they won their Memorial Cup, and DJ Smith had the team executing this ring-around chip with another player chasing the puck and getting pressure, and the Peets were executing that to perfection and they've been having success with that uh, but then uh unfortunately for them i think the moment might have been a little bit too much they ran out of steam um uh, and they're we're the last team to be playing hockey um i don't know if they're the most injured team in the memorial cup right now but it does seem like it a lot of players dealing with a lot of injuries and they're still trying to find out where everything's going to fit 
Um, so, yeah, I think they just ran out of steam in that first game against Seattle. I don't think 6-3, the score, was really indicative of the play. It seemed like well, one was an empty netter. It seemed like a 4-3 game. It was, it was a one-goal game for me. Um, I know Michael Simpson believes that he can be better. Uh, that, that goes for game two as well, obviously, where each of the Pete's goalies allowed five goals apiece. Um, and that was that was pretty painful to watch. Um, just being around the team all year, and then you see that happen to them on the big stage. And I, I'm sure that they'll say they're not seeing it, but there were people laughing at them around the OHL. and They're still the champions of the OHL. So I think they just need to center themselves on the fact that they did win the league. They're the best team from the OHL, and they belong here. Um, but it was walking into the lion's den for the second game for the Kamloops Blazers. The fans were crazy. The team was jacked up. And then they had an amazing first 10 minutes, and it just never stopped. So you talked about them being tired and possibly injured, a little bit banged up. What do you think has been the root of kind of their underwhelming play after that first 10 minutes, like you said, of that first game? It's kind of fallen off the rails at this point. Yeah, it was It was that – I think it was just running out of steam there. And then Rob Wilson said this as well, and it, it was my impression in the first 10 minutes of the game against Kamloops, and it was just the lion's den. And it was an unstoppable wave of energy coming from the Kamloops Blazers. Uh, I haven't seen a team perform a forecheck quite the way they did um, in all season, probably. Uh, they were just dominating. And it, I don't think it's anything they were doing as so much as Kamloops was just being animals, just out there bullying them on the forecheck. So many hits, and the offense was spread out. And, and as I pointed out, Michael Simpson, he knows he wants some of those back. That was not his best game. That was nowhere near his best game. I think it was just a lot of factors coming together at the wrong time for the Peets that led to that situation. Yeah, you mentioned the Kamloops game. I, I think the heavy forecheck really frustrated them, and then penalties became an issue, and then that's when things really started to spiral out of control. I think I think Kamloops was four for seven uh, on the on the power play. You're not going to win many games when you're giving up four to seven on the power play. And the Peets had one of the best pe- penalty kills in the OHL this year. We know they have a good penalty kill. It's their power play that has been – uh, really underwhelming this season. I thought, so Cam Govro got into a fight at the end of the period. I thought they probably needed something like that earlier on. You just weren't seeing one person stand up. And the, the one thing that I always like to take note of, and I tweeted this, was uh, the body language on the benches. And every single Pete's player was sitting down. This was four minutes in. Every player is still sitting down on the bench. Every Kamloops player is almost bouncing up and down on the bench. They just want to get over those boards. And that's the way they were, both teams were playing. It was the Peets still waiting to get things going. It reminded me, actually, off, off the first shift, it reminded me of their game five in North Bay, where they just never got started and it didn't work out for them. Um, and then they were in a desperate situation where their backs were up against the wall. Um, and I know that Rob Wilson knows how to motivate his team, so we'll see what they have uh, against Quebec. Yeah, and I mean, you made the perfect segue there, and I was going to ask you, Given what you've seen of Quebec and how dominant they've been so far, do the Peets even have a chance to, to keep their hopes alive against the Ramparts? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's that easy. Every, every team in this tournament can win a game against every other team in this tournament. I know the, the Peets are a team that over a seven-game series, they've got a better chance to beat you than they do in a, a one-game uh, head-to-head because they're uh, – they're the equivalent of a, a puncher that, or a boxer that's going to throw those body blows in the early rounds, and it's going to come up, come back to pay off uh, later on in round ten when the other teams or the other fighters tired. Uh, but yeah, of course they can. Um, 
they just need to execute their game. And that's what they said at the morning availability today. Well, they just haven't had a chance to do it yet. They've done it in spurts, but they haven't, uh, they haven't been the Peterborough Peets yet. Um, but they need a little bit uh, more than just the Peterborough Peets. They've put themselves in situations throughout the season and specifically the playoffs where they required superhuman efforts. Uh, they got those superhuman efforts in the playoffs when they really needed them. So uh, it, it, it seems crazy to, to say after what happened, um, but I'd say people should still believe that this Pete's team has something in them. Yeah, so I kind of wanted to go backwards a little bit and talk about the regular season versus the playoffs. Obviously, the expectations were quite high for Peterborough coming into the year, and then they made all those trades, and consistency was a big issue for the team for the vast majority of the regular season. And then the switch kind of flips in the playoffs, and they end up winning an OHL title, I think, and a lot of people were surprised by that based on their regular season play. In your opinion, what was the big difference between – the regular season Pete's and the playoff Pete's. Well, di- discipline is the word and the decision to become disciplined came from the older guys. Um, and in talking to some of them, they admitted that in those games during the regular season, being the oldest team in the OHL, uh, one of the more experienced teams uh, where guys have been off to world juniors or played pro, they just didn't care about a, a Thursday against Niagara. They just It just truly didn't matter to them. Um, you could see that in the way they were playing. Brennan Othman, he seemed to be the least disciplined player during the regular season. But then when it mattered, he turned into this zen hockey player uh, where he's out there causing the problems, not retaliating, not doing anything that he was doing in the regular season. You can see he just decided to care more. Or, and the top-end players will have that another notch to give. and uh, He's definitely one of them. But uh, they started being more disciplined in their systems. I think everybody just bought in and decided they were going to go try and win. Because uh, during the regular season, there you could maybe say some guys were, were trying to score when they should have been trying to do something else or perhaps trying to pad some stats. But, um, yeah, I think just it didn't matter enough to them. Uh, but then when they got to the playoffs, they showed who they were as a group. And they are a group that will tell you that they care about each other like brothers. I know you hear that a lot across the OHL, but you also – see some pretty ugly stuff happen across the OHL where, where they don't refer to each other in that way. And I've seen that being uh, alongside some benches in my day. But, uh, yeah, they, they just seem like a group that cares about one another and decided to go to battle together. Now, you mentioned Othman, and there's other guys acquired in, in season, Avery Hayes, Owen Beck, for example. Who do you think of, of all the guys they brought in in season was kind of most integral to their success in the playoffs? In the playoffs, it was Brennan Othman. Um, on the overall, he was my vote for the uh, the playoff MVP um, just because of what a factor he was when they really needed him to be. I know that uh, as things went on, he, he became perhaps less impactful. I know he's battling some injuries, and uh, but he's always there to settle things down or to give you what you need when you need it. Even if he's not producing, he's still a factor in the game. You'll get a hit on the forecheck. He'll cause some problems in deep and in the neutral zone. And he'll play the system the way it's supposed to be played. So he's not going rogue if he's not producing. And just the timely goals, the timely points, just everything that they needed from him, he gave them. Um, and his maturity um, in interviews and always knowing what to say as well. You could tell he's focused on winning games. And I, I'd say without a doubt, it's been him. Uh, Owen Beck's value has been in the faceoff circle and some physicality. And then Avery Hayes for timely goals. You can't doubt what he brings. 
Now, like you said, in the regular season, there's almost this air of not caring and almost get to the playoffs and then we'll worry about it. What was it specifically on the ice that allowed them to click? Was it that they upped the physicality without kind of crossing the line and going into the discipline area? Or is it just kind of something where they were able to come together and and just flip that switch when it mattered? Well, during the regular season, they were also playing with a ton of different line combinations. So they're missing out on that consistency. But Rob Wilson will tell you that he's doing that on purpose to try and make sure he knew exactly what works if he does need to put things in a blender. So we tried every combination. Um, You could say it was an experimental phase during the regular season. And then when they got to the point where they knew they had to bear down, they went with what they had best. Um, And they did cross the line physically in the regular season. They would go out there and take a penalty that was perhaps unwise. Um, But then in the postseason, that just stopped happening. If there was a scrum after the whistle, you'd see the captain, Sean Spearing. You'd see Brennan Othman, other guys who were leaders on the team going in and saying, hey, get out of there and breaking it up right away. They didn't take part in any of the extra stuff after the whistle. They just stopped when play was blown dead. A complete contrast to the regular season. And that was just being disciplined as a group. And then their dominance of the neutral zone, probably easier in Peterborough with the shrunken neutral zone as well. But uh, they were dominant in shutting teams off on the wall, just putting a line across the red line, making you pick a side, and then sealing it off. It was It was a thing of beauty. Throughout the playoffs, they've had a harder time executing it in the two games so far at the Mem Cup. But uh, discipline in their system, discipline in their physicality, yeah, that that has to be what it was. They just really went for it. And I don't know why it happened. It just, it just <laughs> did. So today, Mark Hunter was named the OHL General, General Manager of the Year. And we kind of wanted to get your take on that. Do you think it should have been Mike O? Like, if... If the argument for Mark Hunter is that um, he built a team that's going, going to be competitive next year as well, then it's not really the GM of the year. Um, it's the GM of whatever, two years. Um, but <laughs> Mike Oak and Mark Hunter both took teams from the same situation, which was a early playoff e- exit. The Peets are coming off the sweep to the Bulldogs last year. And then I don't think anybody was as bold as Mike Oak. Uh, he really went for it. Uh, Trade the, the Guriev for Othman trade uh, surprised everybody in the league. Uh, nobody saw that coming. But then when you add a guy who scored 51 goals the year before, you think, hey, that's that's okay. Um, yeah, I'd say <laughs> I would say last year Steve Stales got it when the Bulldogs won. Maybe Mike Oak deserved it this year. Uh, I don't know if he cares at this point. Um, I'll see him around and I'll I'll talk to him about it. But I, I really don't think he would care too much. Obviously, it'd be nice just to have that in his back pocket. I think the people in Peterborough will care more that Mark Hunter won it than, than Mike Oak will. And yeah, I'd say he could have won it. Um, should have won it. I don't know the the Knights, they built their own team as well. They had some, some issues with injuries and some depth that came through, but the Pete's ended up taking it home. So yeah, sure. I'd say Mike Oak should have been the, uh, the GM of the year. Why not? Uh, earlier you mentioned Michael Simpson sort of struggling a little bit through the Memorial cup thus far, uh, but he was obviously really, really good throughout the entirety of the OHL playoffs, and that's why he was named the playoff MVP. Do you think that gives him a chance of being drafted in his final year of NHL eligibility? If Thomas Millich hasn't been drafted, then I, I don't know if I don't know if he's going to get a, a draft pick or a spent on him, but I'd say he should get signed. I'd be surprised if he doesn't get signed to play somewhere pro, right? Like 
he's the same height as Thomas Millich, so neither one of them are really tall. Um, yeah, I'd say he should get. He's going to play pro. He can play pro. There's no way he shouldn't go there. Um, and he's he's a goalie who, if he makes a mistake, he's going to bear down and really lock in. I know that didn't show um, in the the ten two game, uh, but when in the past when something's gotten be, behind him where he should have stopped it, he's always bearing down and he's always picking himself up. He's a guy who really stays focused um, after mistakes. So. I think that matters. I don't know if he's going to get a draft pick spent on him because he is not the trendy selection for a goalie, right, in the draft. But uh, I would be truly shocked if he doesn't get a pro contract at some point. All right, let's talk next year. Is Niagara the only team, realistically, who can challenge Peterborough for that first overall pick? Like, are the Peets really going to be that bad next year? You mentioned them being the oldest team in the league this year. A lot of those guys are going to be moving on. It, it, the outlook does look kind of bleak, right? Well, it's uh, it's going to be a developmental year, I guess you could say. But, uh, well, the, the Generals coming off of their championship, um, they relied on some guys like uh, Anthony Sorelli, who became an absolute star in the league. Um, I'm pretty sure Owen Beck is has one more year before he's going to be yep. the eight. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's got another year before he has to go pro or go to the NHL. So uh, in terms of trade pieces um, – and the culture that's coming back, right? That's the difference between Niagara and Peterborough. Well, I don't even have them in the same conversation, really, because you have a winning culture versus uh, a lack of culture, uh, really. So I, I don't think that Niagara and Peterborough will be in the same conversation next year. Um, I think the Peets will be able to challenge for a, a playoff spot. I don't see any reason why they won't. Um, Chase Lefebvre is a guy who has more to bring. Quentin Page. He reminds me of Kenny Heater um, to go back to that 2015 Oshawa Generals team. A guy who can step up and, and really start producing. Jonathan Malia as well. I think he's a 30 goal guy next year. Um, Sam Maye coming back as an overager. Connor Lockhart doesn't have a contract yet. He'd be back as an overager. So, yeah, I, I think they'll still, they'll still be pretty good. Um, they're not going to have home ice in the playoffs, but I would be surprised if they don't make the postseason next year. I know a lot of people have really counted them out already, um, but they, they just won a championship. They're here at the Memorial Cup. That really matters for the experience for the young guys, even the ones who don't take to the ice at all in the playoffs. They're just hanging around, and they see what it takes to win, and that translates. So I, I don't think that they're going to be close to the Ice Dogs next year. Now, you mentioned Owen Beck having one more year of eligibility in the OHL before he has to go pro next year. Him and Brennan Hoffman have both kind of been looked at as guys who could play in the NHL next year, but neither has really dominated in the way that people thought they would. So who do you think has a better shot at being an NHL player next year, or do you think both of them with Beck need another year in the OHL and been possibly Hoffman in the A? The better shot at being a pro next year, uh, I would just based off of a team, I'd say is Owen Beck. Um, because of the style of play. I think that Brennan Hoffman is Corey Perry light um, for a lot of reasons. But I, like, I feel like he's probably going to need some seasoning in the AHL just because why not? If it's a team that can take some more time, why wouldn't you do that with a player like that? Um, because he's going to he's gonna piss somebody off at the NHL level. It's not going <laughs> to be a scary situation. He's, I love watching the intricacies of his agitation. It is something to watch. We just ISO... Brennan Othman for a shift, he does some things that just they make you smile if you appreciate that type of hockey. Um, but Owen Beck, if you need somebody to plug in on the fourth line or third line of almost any NHL team who can skate up and down, 
who can throw a couple of hits and get the puck deep and just grind it out, he can do that tomorrow, right? Like, so if there's a better chance of somebody being in the NHL next year, I'd say it would be uh, Owen Beck. Okay, just like a, a few sort of general fun questions for you now since you've covered the league for, for so long. Um, first one is, who's your favorite Peterborough Pete in, in all the years you've been covering the team? Oh, um, so the funniest Peterborough Pete to cover was Nick Ritchie. I don't know if he's my favorite favorite to say, but favorite hockey player from the uh... – oh, boy. This is a very difficult question. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we bring here. Just the, the hard hitting questions. I'm going to, you know what? I just might just stick with Nick Ritchie. Cause he was hilarious. He, he was, he, he would go out there and just say, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to score a goal and nobody can stop me. Or, or he'd get into a fight. He'd come off the ice and he'd say, do you see that? I just killed that guy. Like he just, he, <laughs> he was, <laughs> or he'd go out there and he was competing all the time. Uh, he was, he was the, the, you could see the pro mentality in him where he had that killer instinct um, where he was going out and he was taking everything personally, almost every shift. And uh, I enjoyed that about Nick Ritchie. Like he was, he was violence moving around the ice who could score. Um, yeah. You know, I'll say Nick Ritchie's going to be my favorite Pete so far uh, covering the team. Now there's been tons of great OHL players who come up through the ranks in the time you've been in the OHL. Who's your favorite non Peterborough Pete that you've, that you've covered or seen come through? Travis Konechny by a, by a million miles. He's my favorite player in the NHL right now, too. He's just nonstop, just yapping. Like, he, he will not stop. Um, but he can, I love that type of player, right? Uh, prior to him, Mike Richards was, was who I really loved watching. And Travis Konechny just up and down the ice, nonstop chirping, nonstop sticking guys, cross-checking guys, hitting guys. Um, I love that, the undersized kind of pit bull mentality. Um, like going back to being a kid watching Darcy Tucker, Wendell Clark, stuff like that. I, I love the way those guys play the game. But Konechny, when he was in Ottawa, I just thought he was the smartest player I'd seen. He just did things that surprised me. And I and I think they surprised other people in the OHL too. Guys on the ice were like, what? What did he just do that for? But there was always a purpose to what he was doing. He seemed like the type of player who was a couple of plays ahead of everybody else. Yeah, and I think that's why I like watching a guy like Brennan Othman as well. I always go back to his U18 performance. I remember him coming across the, the offensive blue line, getting blown up while sending a pass to Shane Wright in, in all alone, Wright scoring, and Othman getting up with the defender standing over him, patting him on the head, and, and just going to celebrate. It's just you, you love seeing that agitation. Do you have a favorite memory covering the OHL? Maybe it's the maybe it's the Peter Peach Championship this year or something else. Um, it's uh. Yeah, the first time I got to do play-by-play -play in the OHL was uh, was actually Connor McDavid being in in Peterborough with the Erie Otters, and I was I think it was like 26, 25. I, don't, I was pretty young at that point in time, and it was it was really exciting. It was just really exciting for me to to be in that moment. And now I think it's less less seeing an individual player and more so the moments. Um, but I, this being out at the Memorial Cup in Kamloops, uh, it was nice of, of uh, your TV to send me out here. I'm uh, working alongside Terry Doyle, who does the Sarnia Sting games. Um, yeah, this is definitely the highlights. Um, it just it's nice to, to be able to track along with Peterborough Pete's history because people in Peterborough, like, they care deeply, they care passionately about the team. Um, so just to be somewhere along the side in the periphery, 
of a team that's going down in Peterborough history is a pretty cool moment. Okay, a couple NHL draft questions for you, just sort of involving the Peets. Uh, first one is, does Donovan McCoy get drafted this year? Uh, that's a uh, – like he's right there on the cusp, right? So, um, if he – if the Peets can play a couple more games here and more people get more eyes on him, they'll be able to see him actually play his game. I think that helps his chances. Winning a championship and the way he played, some of the big saves he made, just the, the awareness of where to be in the play, um, I think that gives him a good shot. If he does go, I think it'll probably be in the last round. Um, I hope he does, um, just for his sake. He's a nice kid. Just yesterday when we were – the day after the Peets got blown out 10-2, um, they went off and did some team activities. Um, so then we were walking around with our camera trying to get some content for the show that we've been doing, the Memorial Cup Report. And then we see Donovan McCoy, and he's standing at the Hockey Gives Blood tent. Like the day after getting blown out 10-2, and he's out there volunteering his time for a good cause. That says something about his character right there. So I think things like that, when, when scouts and GMs are aware of it, it might help his chances of getting drafted. Yeah, I mean, that's a great answer. And these, these are the types of things that are really important for, for people to know, in my opinion. It provides a lot of context, right? Uh, okay, last one is a former Peterborough Pete who had quite the explosion after being dealt to Hamilton, and that's Nick Lardis. Do you think... Nick Lardis deserves to be a first-round pick at this point? I think he's the second-best forward coming out of the OHL. So I think that gives you an answer. Um, I think he's better than Musty. I think he's better than Richie. Um, but uh, Colby Barlow is obviously at the top. And talking about a fun hockey player, Colby Barlow. Um, yeah, Nick Lardis, he works hard. We know that. When he came into this season, and he blew me away with his dominance in the fitness testing. Like, he... He did 26 pull-ups, something that uh, I can only dream of. Uh, but he did 26 pull-ups in his second year. And the amount of upper body strength it takes to be able to do that, you can see the way he shoots the puck too, right? He's got the strength to do it. And the amount of work he he put in, um, yeah, I'd say he deserves to be a first-round draft pick. All right, Dan, we really appreciate you doing this. Where can people find you on, on Twitter? Uh, we know it's up on the screen, but I'll have you shout it out for the people listening as well. And uh, where can people watch you going forward for the Memorial Cup and find any other content you're doing? Well, uh, the Your TV Peterborough Instagram, Twitter, Facebook pages where we're posting kind of the features that we've been up to. Um, my Twitter handle is uh, Dan from Canada. It's, I think it's like 13 years old, but I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to keep the Dan from Canada. It was, it was fun when I made it. It seems goofy now, but there it is. It's like an old Hotmail account. Thank but you yeah, very you much, can catch man. me on Pete's broadcast as well during the season. Thanks a lot, Dan. We really appreciate you doing this. Tony, Brock, thanks, guys. Thanks, Dan. All right. We thank Dan from for coming on the show and sharing his thoughts on the Peterborough Pete's at the Memorial Cup and just about everything on the Peterborough Pete's overall. What was your takeaways from the interview overall and just kind of your feelings on the Pete's going into tonight's game against the Quebec Ramparts? Yeah, I think Dan really hit the nail on the head with the issues with the first two games. And that Seattle one, they just looked like they ran out of gas. They they were playing really well, I thought, the first half of that game. And then Seattle's speed, physicality, just seemed like it overwhelmed their defense. And it, it was just too much for them. And then in that Kamloops game, that forecheck was just, again, frustrating them. And I think that if there is a weak point of Peterborough's roster construction this year, it's, it's in puck-moving blue liners. I think that's part of why they're – power play hasn't been great is they just don't have that really high end guy other than maybe Gavin White. 
and the forecheck was frustrating them. And then penalties became an issue. And then, you know, Kamloops scored four power play goals, uh, four power play goals. And then, I mean, you're not going to win many games. Like I said, uh, when we were talking to Dan, so do they have a chance against Quebec? I mean, Quebec has been so good. Like uh, they've been way better. Like uh, I, I think personally, I was a little bit more familiar with, with some of the West teams heading into this tournament than I was Quebec. So maybe I just underrated how good the Ramparts have been this year or how good they are. And that's a, that's a really tall order for them. Um, I know from reading today that Patty Watt did say that they were planning on arresting some players. So we'll see what comes of that. Maybe that's just talk. Maybe it is something that he does that would obviously be very beneficial to Peterborough. Um, but we're going to see how they do tonight. Yeah, it's certainly been interesting. Peterborough Pete's, They've had their backs up against the wall before. I wrote about this on the Hockey News website, so you can check that out. Free plug for myself. But no, they've been in this situation before. They're comfortable in this situation. They know how to kind of get out, get get the best out of them when they need it. And they've found guys to play hero. They just need a few guys to play hero over the next tonight at least and over the next couple of games and hopefully get to the Memorial Cup final if they want a chance to win it. It's going to be interesting. Hopefully they can win tonight. Uh, anyone listening to this will probably already know the fate of the Peets by then, but Let's move on to some NHL draft content. And this week, we're going to talk about some overage players, some guys that are re-entries in the OHL draft. So, Brock, who's kind of your first overager you want to talk about? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a really good thing for us to be chatting about because we're seeing an increase in these types of players being selected, especially from the CHL. We're seeing more of these players drafted out of the CHL because that signing window is so short in the CHL, right? They, they only get those two years uh, NHL teams get compared to some other regions, right? So why not draft a more polished player from the CHL who you know is closer to turning pro, who you know has developed well, right? So um, two guys kind of stuck out to me, and the, they are uh, Brady Stonehouse and Spencer Silva. I think two uh, two guys that I thought had a really good shot of being drafted last year. I think I understand why both didn't get selected with Stonehouse. He's not the biggest guy, and I think that his skating lacked a dynamic quality for the type of game that he played, sort of that pest high energy role. And Sova, he just had a lot of problems defensively um, on a struggling eerie team. Right. And I think both of those guys worked really, really hard to improve those areas of weakness. I thought Stonehouse looked a lot quicker this year, a lot stronger. His confidence with the puck really grew. And I think that helps to explain why he set career highs in, in points, goals, and in pretty much everything. And it was a really key cog for that strong Ottawa 67s team. And I, I think there's a chance that he could develop into a, a Michael Bunting kind of player at the NHL level if he continues to improve. And then Spencer Sova, I think, worked really hard on two things. One, improving his defensive play, improving his physicality, and being just overall tougher to play against. And two, really starting to use his skating ability to impact the game at both ends. And uh, I, I felt that he was kind of tentative uh, as an offensive player last year in his draft year. And this year, I think sort of the training reels came, came off a little bit. I thought he was a lot more confident. He didn't have a strong finish to the year. So that's definitely going to be a strike against him. Erie really struggled down the stretch. I think they might have won like two or their final like 17 or, or something along those lines. So Tough to stand out then, but I, I thought for the majority of this year, he was really good. Who are your two, Tony? Uh, my two guys are going to be Bo Gelsma and Rodman Dionicio. And Dionicio was a guy I saw a lot here in Windsor. Uh, traded from the from the Niagara Ice Dogs, who 
We've talked about them many a times. I don't need to go over it again. Aren't the most functional place to go or play hockey. So seeing him in Windsor, seeing him flourish and just become a really smart puck moving defender, both ends of the ice. He was really good. I thought he used his skating to the best of his ability. He was a really good, he did a really good job of making the next play easy on his, on his teammates. And I think that was the easiest, the best thing I noticed out of his game this year. I think he's a guy that in Niagara probably didn't get noticed last year. I know there were some people that thought he probably should have been drafted last year, but he didn't. So there's an excellent opportunity to get him in the mid rounds this year. And Bo Jelzma, he's small. That's the biggest thing with him. A guy that put up 61 points in 67 games this year on, on the back end. Uh, or, sorry, up front, sorry. Um, but he's a 5'9". I think anytime you're a 5'9 player, you're going to have issues. You can get pushed around a little bit. And that's certainly true of Jelzma's game. But he's creative. He makes a lot of really nice passes. And I thought his shot really improved again this year. I think we've seen him be a really good shoot finisher over the last couple of years. And he's really improved that yet again. I think he's getting to better spots in just kind of being a better all-around player. And I think that's why he deserves to kind of be drafted this year. Again, a guy that you can get in the mid to late rounds. And one other guy I wanted to mention here, and he's kind of a, a re-entry because he's going to be going back into the draft this year. That's Ben Goudreau, a, a guy that I thought maybe with his hot finish and the good playoffs, he should have been signed by the San Jose Sharks. They opted not to. He's going to go back into the draft this year. Does the team take a chance on him late in the draft? I think he's a very good goalie who has the tools. It's just about figuring it out and kind of bring it all – together collectively because we've seen him shine at times so there's a lot of really good uh re-entry candidates in the ohl this year i think like you mentioned we've seen it a lot in the chl the last couple of years i think a big part of that is the covid year especially in the ohl a lot of these guys are a year behind where they should have been developmentally they're taking the whole year off and everything so seeing a few of these guys get drafted as overage kids it makes a lot of sense to me yeah one guy was actually kind of curious about your opinion on was oliver Pierre. Do you think that there's a chance that he gets drafted? I think there's a chance, but I think it's a, a, a seventh round flyer, sixth round flyer kind of thing. He's showed really well at times. The The consistency wasn't there for me all year. There were times where you, you'd see him kind of get burned and see him make the wrong play. Um, just kind of pass a puck into traffic where it just didn't need to be. There was a, a safer option. There are, there are moments of creativity. There are moments of, of being able to push the play up ice and be a, a, a guy that makes a difference. But the consistency wasn't just there. It just wasn't there for me this year. So if he does get drafted, I think it'll be kind of on some of the tools he brings, the size and the stuff that he has. But it's not necessarily going to be a finished product or a guy that's on the level of some of the guys we talked about already. Let's move on to our final segment of the day, though, the Nashville Predators prospect pool. There's only one player, but it's a very good player, and we've talked about it many times on the broadcast. Defenseman Jack Mateer of the Ottawa 67s won gold with with the Canadian World Junior Team. He had 49 points with 13 goals, 36 assists, and 56 games, 57 penalty minutes, and he's a plus 40 on a really, really strong Ottawa team. In my opinion, he was a big reason why that Ottawa team was able to be as dominant as they were this year. Yeah, I agree. He took a massive, massive step forward this year, not only as an OHL player, but as an NHL prospect. I think yeah. that the improvement that we saw in his overall offensive skill set, his confidence with the puck, the the growth there really gives him a better projection as more than just a depth guy, which I would have maybe said previously. And you mentioned the whole COVID thing with the re-entries, right? And he's somebody that I think we're kind of sleeping on as a quality NHL prospect because he is part of that COVID crop that just didn't play, right? Like we're a lot of those guys were drafted based on 
previous year's performance, based on that eerie showcase tournament that occurred, based on limited play at the U18s, right? I think a lot of that OHL prop was just not scouted properly because we weren't able to scout them. I mean, Wyatt Johnston is, is a perfect example of that, right? Um, here's a guy that was kind of a surprise first round pick. People were like, well, we saw him with the U18s. It didn't, uh, what's the upside there, right? Looks like a good two-way guy, maybe like a third liner, right? And now he's one of the better two-way young players in the NHL already after a really good year um, helping Dallas go deep into the playoffs. And I, I think Jack is cut from that same cloth. I, I think that this is a really good defensive prospect for the NHL. I think when you look at his combination of, of size, physicality, mobility, and improving puck play, this is somebody who could easily be a solid second pairing guy for a really long time. And, and somebody that I think could actually move pretty quickly through Nashville system because he's already, you know, really strong defensively and he's already got a really clear understanding of how he should play. I think his gap control and his use of his length and his mobility um, is a real strength of his. His rush defense is a real strength of his. And in order to defend at the NHL level, you need to do two things, right? You need to be able to be a strong defender in transition. So the footwork has to be good and you need to be able to be strong down low. And I think he's both of those things. Yeah. I think when you're talking about a six foot five defenseman, a guy that has a defensive acumen that we've seen in his game, the growth offensively was what I, was what I wanted to see this year. I think we've talked about it a number of times in the podcast that even if you're going to be a defensive defenseman at the NHL level, you need to show some competence and some ability to move the puck at the junior level, ability to be a, a bit of an offensive creator and catalyst when, when you're playing against 17, 18, 19, 20-year-olds. And this year was a year that Jack Mature stepped up, was able to do a lot of that, and became not only a contributor, but an impact player, I thought. He was on the power play unit at times this year. He was moving the puck really, really well. He, he deals with four checks extremely well. I think that's the big thing with him. And then, like you said, the transition defense, the end zone defense, he's great at clearing the front of the net. He does a lot of things really, really well. I think you're right about him having a chance to advance to that Nashville system fairly quickly. This wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me if he's a guy that plays in the AHL for a year, gets a cup of coffee at the end of the year, next year even, and then finally get kind of becomes a full-time member of that Nashville team in a year and a half or two years because he really, really is a very good prospect. And he's shown a lot this year in terms of growth with the puck on his stick and, and just overall confidence, I think. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. All right, let's get out of here today. It's been a fun show. Brock, before we get out of here, and let's make ourselves look silly, though, the Quebec Ramparts take on the Peterborough Pete's tonight. This show won't be out till tomorrow morning, so we won't know until next time when we record together who actually won this game. What do you think the final score is going to be for everyone that's going to listen to it after the game? I actually do expect Peterborough to put up a fight. Um, I'm going to take Quebec breaking Peterborough's heart in overtime. I'm going to go with a 6-5, a high-scoring game. I'm going to go 4-3 Peterborough. You know what? I'll throw it in overtime as well, but I do think the Peets are going to manage to get it done, force a tie break, see if they can keep their, their tournament alive. Do I think they're going to get to the final? Probably not. But I think they're going to be able to at least gut this one out, especially if Patrick was in a dirty liar and actually sits a few guys. But we all kind of know Patrick was antics, so he could just pump his first two lines all night long. So... It'll be interesting to see, but without further ado, make sure you follow the podcast on 
Spotify, Apple Music, subscribe, like, and all that stuff. Give us ratings. We really appreciate it. Tell how the podcast grows. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next week when we know the fate of the Peterborough Peets.